All right, I direct your attention now to the Word of God. We're in the book of Exodus. And we're studying the life of Moses. Exodus. Remain standing, if you would, for the reading of the Word. Exodus chapter 3, we'll read a couple of verses we've read before. Then we have a long narrative. And um, got a long way to go and a short time to get there. But let me tell you what will help. Pay attention so that I don't have to refer back to the text too much as I speak. Notice there's three signs. That's what the point of the passage is. It's about the signs that the Lord gives Moses. I'll just mention to you right away that if you read your scriptures, you think that there's a miracle worked every day in the, the Bible. But there's not. The miracles and the signs and the wonders that God gave his people followed around certain strategic events. It started with Moses and all the wonder working that Moses did. The Bible says that Moses worked many wonders and he he had all kinds of signs in dealing with God's people during the exodus and the wilderness wandering and then entering into the land of Canaan with Joshua. But there was an awful large gap when we don't find a whole lot of miracles being performed. But during the days of the ecstatic prophets, Elijah and Elisha, God began to work miracles again and verify his word to the people. And then there's a long drought again of actual miracles, and we don't see them again until Jesus Christ comes. And when Christ comes, he's a miracle worker and a wonder worker, and he works miracles according to the pattern laid down by Elijah and Elisha and by Moses. So that's the thrust of the message is to, get, is to show this seedbed, this inauguration of God working signs and wonders among his people for the purpose of validating the spoken word, which is mentioned in the text. And eventually with Moses, we come to the written word. The signs and wonders verified the message that was spoken by Moses and Aaron and eventually came to be inscripturated, written down. And so this is the beginning of that pattern. Before this time, we don't have a lot of written scripture. Moses put it all together in his day and gave us that which we know about the ancient antiquity of this this earth and the faith and all the rest. So hear now the word of the Lord in this story, this narrative. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Then Moses answered, behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? And he said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. When he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, Put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they do not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. 
If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I'm not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, O oh Lord, please send someone else. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You will speak to him and put the, the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He will speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Here's a little passage out of what is essentially, for all practical purposes, a eulogy of Moses as an addendum to the book of Deuteronomy, the very last passage in the book of Deuteronomy. Listen to what the writer there, probably Joshua, says. And there was not risen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of of Israel. Moses started out as a wonder-working leader, a deliverer, a redeemer, a savior to God's people. And he ended up a writer of the written word of God. And that's God's pattern. God speaks to the fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by one who is a son who was a miracle worker. Jesus Christ is a redeemer. He is a savior. He is a lawgiver. He is a leader, a pioneer, a file leader to his people. And the apostles wrote under the inspiration of the Spirit of God the things of Christ. And that's what we have. These books here in the Pentateuch, the first five books will record an incredible amount of the working of God, the giving of the manna and the water and just one thing after another, various healings. We spoke of one last week about the serpent. God gave signs in order for what reason? In order that they may, and it's used several times in the text, believe. The key thing is faith. God's people went on in those days to wander in the wilderness and they never reached the promised land, that generation, that first generation. They never did. And the New Testament writer says the reason they didn't is they did not reach it because of their unbelief. 
If I don't tell you anything else this morning, I'm telling the most important thing on your side of your salvation is for you to believe, to believe the sign, to believe the miracle, to believe the wonder, to believe the prophet, to believe the scriptures in their entirety, and above all, to believe Christ himself. Let me look just for a moment. We don't have time to expand as much as I would like, but let's look at these three signs real briefly. The first one was a snake. The second one was leprosy. And the third one, although it's not called a sign, it is the third thing that God told Moses to do. And that was to take some water from the Nile and pour it out on the dry ground and watch it turn to blood. I want you to follow me here for a minute. If you think I'm way, way off the track, then just, you know, hide your eyes and hold your ears until I get back on the track. But I'm going to tell you, God has a way of accommodating and bringing down. In his revelation, he makes himself available to his people. And one of the things God has done in Scripture throughout, and it's an incredible study, is God uses in, uh, various images, imagery, and motifs, and types, and shadows, and weak and beggarly elements, and just kind of small things that may not teach the whole truth, but at least will get you on, on the track of the subject that you'll need to know. And these three themes are exactly what you'll find. First, the serpent, from the Garden of Eden, and the deceiving of Eve, and the first sin of Adam. We hear about the serpent, and we hear about the seed of the serpent all through redemptive history until we get all the way to Jesus Christ when the serpent attacked him in every way through the seed of the serpent Herod trying to kill him as a child like it happened to Moses. There's things that happen in the life of Christ. You can see it from time to time. The temptation in the wilderness, the agony in the garden where you can see the serpent trying to derail the seed of the woman and to set God's plan of redemption to redeem the race, Adam's race, the human race, and restore them to try to wreck that one who was fully man, fully of Adam, but also fully God, Jesus Christ. And so the Lord is getting us used to this notion of the serpent and what the serpent is all about. The second sign we see here is the sign of leprosy. Leprosy in the scriptures represents uncleanness. It was a skin disease. It turned the skin kind of white. It was a very, very terrible disease. There are references in Scripture. In fact, in, uh, in the book of Leviticus, chapters 13 and 14, have elaborate detail as to how you were to identify and diagnose leprosy. The priests were to understand it. They were to inspect and look at a person. They were to see what they could to cure it. And finally, when a cure occurred, they were to wash and cleanse and go through a ceremonial ritual of cleansing. Because you see, leprosy rep represented that, that sin, that uncleanliness. And the book of Leviticus is a holiness code. It's a cleanliness in the sight of God. And leprosy represents that horrible malady that can only be overcome by the cleansing power of God and the washing of the ceremonial waters. The Lord's teaching a lot of truth through leprosy. In fact, it's also the judgment of God. Later on, Miriam, the sister of Moses, will rebel along with Aaron. They'll rebel and gainsay Moses, and the Lord will strike Miriam with leprosy. It's a symbol of God's judgment upon a people. And if you look carefully at in Isaiah 53 and in other places, you can see that there's some teaching that 
gave an expectation among some of the rabbis that the Messiah himself would be a leper because he would be marred in his visage. He would be someone that would be not necessarily pleasant to look upon. And this, of course, is what ended up happening to Christ on the cross. By the time the crown of thorns, the lashes on the back, the nails in his hands, the spear in his side took their toll upon him that he was marred. He was as a, as a bloody, wriggly worm in his, in his passage. And we see this particular motif that's used. Jesus was crucified outside the camp. The lepers had to go outside the camp in the Old Testament. They were not allowed to live with their families. They had to be outside the camp of Jerusalem. You'll notice that, remember Elisha, when he uh, instructed Naaman, the Syrian army officer, in his uh, curing of his leprosy. We'll have, a, we'll have a nod of heads. How many remember the story of Naaman's cure of leprosy? Let's have a nod of heads. Okay, some of you are nodding slower. I think you may be nodding on off to sleep. I'm not, I'm not sure, but do you remember, you remember what Elisha said? Send him down there to that Jordan River. Have him dip seven times in the muddy Jordan and he'll be healed that they will know that there's a prophet in Israel. God's mighty works and miracles always are for the point of proving something and showing something. I get a little irritated with some folks in our day that look at miracles and signs and wonders and healings and, and a few other things that they say are supernatural events. And, and they focus on that without realizing that the point of the signs and wonders is to bear a witness and an attestation to the spoken word of God and the written word of God. That's what the signs of the apostles were all about in the book of Acts, is God affirming with signs and miracles. It's an accommodation to our weakness. It's a bolster to our faith. It's to engender belief. It's to enable us to believe. Jesus did many miracles. John said, I can't even record him in this book. But these are written that you may believe and that my believing you may have life through his name. Jesus healed lepers. Every miracle that Jesus performed had a significant teaching to it. He opened blind eyes and he said, I'm the light of the world. In each of his miracles, he, he taught a truth. And the truth of cleansing of the, of the, of the, of the Samaritan lepers and, and the two lepers, the cleansing that the Lord has to show that he is the purgatory agent of salvation. He and he alone can cleanse our consciousness in order to serve the true and the living God. And we are vile and filthy and are outside the camp until we're drawn in by his grace and his mercy and his healing of our spiritual leprosy. Then finally, the blood. He said, if they don't believe these signs, we'll just give you one more thing to do. Strange thing. Go to the Nile River, get some water, and pour it out on dry land. And that water will turn to blood. The shedding of blood. The torn flesh. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. When I see the blood, I will pass over you. The life of the flesh is in the blood. These are things, principles, teachings right out of Moses' life that God is teaching his people. So that when the time comes through the great sacrificial system, through the Passover lamb, through countless sheddings of blood and blood being poured out on the land, when the time finally comes that Christ hangs on the cross and in that bloody ordeal sheds his blood, when as the prophet Zechariah said, I will open a fountain in Jerusalem for the cleansing of the people. 
And finally, it's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all sin. And that's what God was teaching Moses. He was teaching something about that blood being poured out and that blood hitting the land. There is no place else that you will find clearer signs pointing to Christ than in these miracles that Moses performed to lead us as a schoolmaster, as a teacher, as a tutor, would lead us to Christ. And when we come to Christ, we find the greatest sign of them all, the resurrection. The greatest sign that Jesus gave was bringing his son who had died in our place, died for our sins, borne our guilt, our shame, our penalty, had satisfied God and purged our iniquities. And it opened the gates of heaven by the splitting of the veil. And as the high priest takes the blood in before the father, the father is fully satisfied and all of his wrath has been drained away and all of his mercy has been poured out upon us. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved.